You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast as we go through a study of the book of Galatians in a series called Living by Grace. We hope you're encouraged and blessed by today's message. Uh, If you have a Bible, turn to Galatians. If you want a journal, whip that out. I'm praying that God continues to speak to you. Uh, I do believe that as, as your pastor, as a teacher of God's Word that faithfully preaches the Word of God, the Holy Spirit uses His Word to speak to His people and to show you uh, the goodness of uh, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's amazing to be able to open up our Bibles, to dig in, to read Scripture. And I just want to encourage you that we not only read Scripture here, but we live life together and we have community and we grow through loving community. And so make sure as you're reading those, uh, the Galatians and God speaking to you with the journals, bring those journals to your community group. Uh, share. Uh, about how you want to grow, what questions you have, the things that God's teaching you. That's one of the questions we always ask. Hey, what's Jesus teaching you? And we want to be sensitive to the spirit of how God's moving. And so tonight we're going to be in chapter one of this great letter, this epistle, uh, where we're starting to dig in to uh, the actual text. Last week we looked at the introduction and sort of this thematic series or thinking through uh, acts of how Paul was writing to this these churches in Galatia, providence of churches that were dealing with a great issue and diving into grace and what that means for their life. And so um, it would be wise for us to just pray again, not be silly and give hats and stuff, but to pray again for my heart and just to ask God to teach us grace. Uh, Grace is a very familiar word in the Bible, um, but yet when you are impacted by the beauty of God's grace for your life, it will literally change your life. It's like the gospel is a filter of how you'll see everything. And it is a beautiful, beautiful thing that you need God to ask uh, to apply to your hearts. And so I love studying God's word, but I also know this is a house of prayer and we need him to do it. So let's pray again real quick and just ask the Lord to speak. Jesus, we thank you so much for friendship, for community, for grace, for making this a house of prayer, to be able to sing songs to you, to worship you. Uh, Lord, for all those in the room and even listening online or in video, uh, we just thank you, God, that We can come to you and your word, and you can have the final authority in our lives. We pray for that, Lord. We pray that there would be a sensitivity and a moving of your spirit to teach us in this passage as we look and start digging into this book that you, uh, Lord, uh, ordained to be anointed and holy and scripture. And so we want to come with reverence, with holiness, with just thanking you and humility. And uh, we want to come expectant. God, we pray that you would speak, you would anoint that you would directly speak to our hearts and just wash us in your word once again. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for being the living word, for being alive. And uh, we ask God uh, for you to receive all the glory as we know in advance you're going to do some great things as we come and look at your word once again. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. And everyone said? Everyone said? Come on, you can get a little loud. It's okay. You know, you got to move it out. You know, it's all right. Last week we covered the thematic book of Galatians uh, and sort of looked at the life of Paul because in verses 1 through 4, he did this greeting like he always does, grace and peace to you, and he sort of just states his apostolic authority of Scripture. It was an introduction, a greeting to the letter, but we really saw that this book is all about the implications of the gospel and of grace. Uh, One quote that you'll hear me say over and over again from Charles Swindoll in his commentary of this letter He says this, grace is the way to life and grace is the way of life. It's not only to life of how we find God by his grace, but it's something that God wants us to live by. 
And as we're going to look at this principle of grace throughout this letter, we not only need to understand that grace is for salvation, but for like the everyday stuff of life. God's favor for you. His approval. His, his, his riches upon your life at Christ's expense. There's only one gospel, but we're learning and we're going to learn that there are many implications. Like last week, I gave you this illustration of like a diamond. And when you put a diamond up, this multifaceted gem up to a light, it actually filters through and sparkles and has all these little rays. And the gospel is sort of like that. When you see the heart and character and goodness of God, that's what gospel means is good news. When you see that, it's almost like putting on sunglasses and how you see things. And there's only one diamond, but yet there's many rays. There's only one gospel. We're going to learn that today. But there are many applications, many things that you can ponder and meditate and, and find the heart of God in. Now, if you weren't here last week, we sort of summed up an outline with sort of chapters. Chapters 1 and 2 are all about this gospel, this good news that we're going to dive into today. But chapters 3 and 4, they're actually about the law, the Mosaic law, the code. Chapters 5 and 6 are about the Spirit. Let me give you some implications of what this letter is going to address through another outline, just so you have a, a, a mind frame, because we're about to dive deep into it. But I want you to see the big picture of some big things that, that, that this book covers that is actually for our lives today. Uh, this epistle, first off, it warns us against abandoning the true gospel for a cheap imitation. That, that there was actually Christians that, that didn't follow the true gospel. They, they actually settled for a cheap imitation. And it tells us in this letter what the true gospel is and what it is not. What it is and what it is not. And it tells us how to live out. God gives us instructions of how do you apply the good news of Jesus in your life. This letter upholds the significance of grace. And what do I mean by this? Well, this, this book is like a condensed version of Roman and it, Romans, and it drills down with this doctrine of justification. God declaring that you are righteous and, and making sure that you know how significant and a bunch, such a boulder of your faith is. You know, this book and the idea of faith and grace and these simple truths are so fundamental and foundational to our faith to understand and embrace for our lives. And so Paul is giving these new believers instructions to disciple them, to teach them. We as Christians, we need to grow, we need to learn, we need to mature, and even the application of like, how do I apply this truth to my life? So it upholds the significance of grace in your life. Three, it presents the, the true function of the Mosaic law. We know it and we call it Mosaic law because when we were in Exodus, Moses went up to the, the mountain. God gave him the Ten Commandments, the Levitical law, 613 uh, um, laws. But it has to deal with morals. It has to deal with holiness, righteousness. Uh, what, what is the purpose of the law is what Paul is going to address. What, what is followers of Jesus, what do we do with the Ten Commandments? What do we do with the law and these rules? Are rules bad? Are they holy? Are they good? Are they like, what do we do? Paul acknowledges that the laws and like the Mosaic law and rules are actually good, but not to earn your righteousness or favor with God. They're good, but they have a specific purpose. And if you mess up the order, it's going to actually mess up your life. Lastly, this letter, it provides a needed balance. So liberty is not abused. You see, the gospel frees us from trying to earn God's favor by just doing a whole bunch of good stuff. And if I do this good thing, then God's really going to love me. But it should transform our lives to walk in righteousness because God loves me. 
We don't obey the law for righteousness, but because we are righteous and because God does love us and give us grace, we now want to follow his rule. And this is why in chapters 5 and 6, it has a great emphasis on the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, being led by the Holy Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, because we need the Spirit of God to actually walk in victory, not our own efforts are following a bunch of rules and having this structure and order. No, we need the person of God himself, the Holy Spirit, to empower us. And so this letter, this series, Living by Grace, it's it's life-changing because it's the gospel of grace. It's, it's good news. Like, do you smile when you think about gospel? Do you smile when you think about God's grace? To truly understand grace and to live it out? And this is why Paul is writing this letter, because he's saying there's no other gospel. It is only the gospel of grace. And he's instructing this group of churches in Galatia. Remember, to Providence. This was his first missionary journey. This is important for us because this is not just to a church. It's to multiple churches. Different contexts, different locations, but multiple churches and multiple Christians struggle with the idea of God's unconditional, undeserved favor and love for their lives. So you're not the only one. I'm not the only one that, that, that it has to have instruction by God. These churches in the southern part of the Roman providence, or what we would know in the Bible is called Asia Minor, they had just been established. This church had just started by the Apostle Paul. This is uh, Apostle Paul's first letter. He would write many books of the Bible, 13 in the New Testament. This would be his first letter at around 14, or not 14, but 48 AD. So if you know anything about Christ and 30 AD and where he lived. This would be about 15 years to 20 years later after Jesus was alive, died, and rose again from the cross. Uh, This is a part of his ministry of not just planning in churches, but making disciples. He would be called to be a church planner, a missionary, a pastor, and go out. And in his first missionary journey, Acts 13 and 14, he preaches the gospel to Galatia. He comes back. And now as people are coming in teaching false doctrine, he wants to let them know, This is the truth. This is what you can bank your life on. This is what God says. And so this first letter of many, Paul instructs, and the first thing he wants to instruct the churches on in all of his letters is fundamental truth of what grace is. He wants to be people to be established in grace. Because there there was a known group named the Judaizers that came in. He would actually call them false prophets. And they would come into this region after Paul would leave, preaching a different gospel, and I like to call it a works-based gospel. It's like an oxymoron. If it's works-based, it's not good news. But it's a works-based to find their righteousness. You see, when we talk about no other gospel, we have to actually say, well, what is the gospel? Especially, what is the gospel of Jesus? Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. What does the Bible teach us and say about the gospel? What, what, how do they enter into a relationship that they were saved by grace through faith? You see, God in his great love sent Jesus to save us as a sacrifice for our sins. This is what he addressed in the first uh, introduction. He's like, listen, man, I'm a chief sinner. God saves sinners. He was a sacrifice. And yet while we were sinners, not good enough, Christ came and died for our sins and offers us forgiveness and spiritual life, eternal life for all those who believe. Not only did Jesus die, but the Bible says he rose three days later. 
because there was no sin in him. He lived a perfect life that you and I could not live. And three days later, God rose him from the grave and promises to give eternal life to those that trust in him. As we put our faith in him and repent, the Bible says we are made spiritually alive. You see, you are physically alive, but you're dead in your sin, in your trespasses. And there's nothing that you can do to earn life. God has to breathe that in you, give that to you. And as you repent, turn to him and repent and ask for forgiveness. He's able to give that life. So Jesus promises to give life like he promised to rise again. And he did it. And he does it. And he promises to come back again. You see, Jesus promises to make every wrong right. That heaven and hell are real. And he will rule and reign for all eternity. And his plan is to make all things new. There will be no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow for all those that believe in him. But to those that don't believe, the Bible says they are lost or condemned in their own sin and not forgiven because they have still sin on them. Now, there's a great book I want to recommend to you. It's on this gospel of Jesus and on this thing that I think a lot of people don't understand. It's called atonement to be right. It's by Jeremy Treat. He's a local pastor, theologian, and professor. Um, and it's actually called The Atonement and Introduction. So it's a, it's a smaller book. I know I, I sometimes recommend and quote a lot of thicker books. This is a smaller one, but it is profound. He says this, The message of Christianity is not about what we ought to do for God, but what God has done for us. This is the heart, and if you could understand that the gospel of Jesus is something that's already taken place. So it's not something that you deserve or that you earn. It's either you believe it or you don't. You accept it or you reject it. The message of Christianity is not about what we ought to do for God and getting his approval, but what God has already done for us. And when we believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, being born again, filled with his spirit, to live for him, to make eternal impact. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, teaches us that we are declared righteous or justified by the finished work of Jesus on the cross and the work and power of the resurrection. And so we live for him, by him, through him. Everything is about him because it's all his grace through faith that we're saved. And so there's this doctrine, there's this theology called by grace alone, through faith alone. By grace alone, through faith alone. And why is this important? Because the Judaizers were coming in and they were teaching these new converts, these people that, that believed in Jesus and the message, that they had to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses to be saved. Or surely to be sanctified and, and live holy life and live for God. I mean, Jesus did that, but now you have to do this. It was a Jesus plus mentality. Not grace alone and not faith alone. It's I need to be good enough now. The slate's clean, so now I need to be on my best behavior. They would teach that to be right with God, you had to also add to what Jesus had done. They didn't deny Jesus, notice that in their teaching, but they added rules to Jesus for a good standing with God. And you see, that's the struggle. Most Christians don't deny Jesus, but what they do is they end up adding things to earn their own righteousness. In our age, we call this doctrine legalism, this term legalism. And so we would see these Judaizers uh, back in the day, but we also see legalists or legalism in our church today. They try to follow rules to earn God's approval, his love, 
his favor. And when they're doing great, man, God loves them so much. But when they're doing bad, God's disappointed. He's saddened. He's mad. He's angry. And the Bible doesn't teach this. The Bible teaches that God looks on his creation and us as with love. That his love is unconditional. That he gives grace or favor to us. Not based upon our works. But the Bible says all spiritual blessings are found in Jesus. The finished work of Christ. That Paul, Paul now is trying to teach them and establish them in this truth through this book. He's going to reject a works-based righteousness. So much so, commentators said that this book is like a war cry. He's going to fight and have some harsh words for this group that is teaching falsely and believing falsely. Now, I said this last week, but I didn't have on the slide. It's a long quote, so I want to read it again. It's by Chuck, uh, Charles Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll, and talks about legalism because maybe you've seen your heart lean this way and you haven't been able to identify it. Because I want, to see, I want you to see the connection of when you think a certain way, your, your, your beliefs affect your behavior. He says, legalism always involves man-made rules and regulations enforced through guilt and shame. For legalists, God seems like a severe judge ready to pounce at every infraction, a stern teacher eager to point out every mistake, or a strict father whose standards we can never live up to. And we're going to see that legalism is so damaging because it skews our view of who God is. And this is why Paul is writing this letter, to address this issue, to establish them in this grace, because in our flesh, it is just easy to compare, to compartmentalize, and to compete for our righteousness and to others. It's sometimes easy to just have a checklist and mark it off rather than a relationship that God calls us into and taking time for intimacy rather than just doing rules. But Paul says in Romans, there's no one good, not one. That we all fall short of the glory of God. That we need not to follow the rules, but we need to follow Jesus. And by doing so, depending on him, filled with his spirit, we'll actually have a new heart to want to do these things. Grace affects our lives. Grace affects our lives. A well-known, respected Greek professor S. Lewis Johnson Jr. said this about the condition of our church today, of what he was studying and sees as he's pastoring. He said, One of the most serious problems facing Orthodox Christian church today is the problem of legalism. One of the most serious problems facing the church in Paul's day was the problem of legalism. And every day it is the same. Legalism wrenches the joy of the Lord from the Christian believer. And with the joy of the Lord goes his power for vital worship and vibrant service. Nothing is left but cramped, somber, dull, and listless profession. The truth is betrayed, and the glorious name of the Lord becomes a synonym for the gloomy killjoy. The Christian under law is a miserable parody of the real thing. We're going to see that this is so important because we have an enemy and there's deceit and there's false teaching and doctrine matters. And this is why Paul starts his letter so serious, so straightforward. Like I said, he would write many other epistles. And usually it's like, I thank God for you. Let me pray for you. This is amazing. This is blah, blah, blah. He doesn't do any of that. He goes straight into a rebuke. He goes straight into serious warning and fighting words. 
And it's a war cry for grace. I wonder what it would be like in our lives if we actually fought for grace. The Bible says to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And what would happen if you had a lie in your mind and you knew it was wrong, but you, sometimes we just flirt with it because it, it, it goes into our feelings. But what would happen if you memorized Scripture and understood what the Bible says goes and that's it? If God says He loves me, that's it. If I'm a child, that's it. If I have the Spirit, that's it. But often we don't feel that way and so we get led by our feelings and the enemy deceives us and it becomes this crazy pathway of negative behavior. But what would your heart be like if you fought for these things? You need to understand as a Christian, you need to fight sometimes. You need to wage good warfare. And there is a battle in the mind and this is what Paul is doing and this is why he's so harsh because it really does matter. Listen to verses 6 through 10 as we cover that today. He says, I, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Now, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you, these Judaizers, and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one preached to you. Let him be accursed, as we have said before. So now I say again, if anyone preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For, I, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were st still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. The first thing I want you to just notice from the tone in this big section in this letter is that the Apostle Paul is mad. He's defending the gospel and what God told him to preach. He uses harsh words in the statement like, I'm astonished. Like, I can't even believe it. I'm dumbfounded that you are actually deserting the one that saved you. You're deserting Jesus. People were distorting the truth. He says, let them be accursed. And this word accursed is so serious, it's this attitude of condemnation, uh, 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 let them be condemned. It literally means, may they be damned to hell. Let them be judged. In the Greek, it's the strongest word for the absolute condemnation of one that would actually oppose God. And he uses this word for false teachers who preach another gospel and he says, including myself, if even we are another angel, the gospel is so glorious, so beautiful, you cannot be deceived from anyone. And so if he's this harsh, it should teach us today that doctrine really does matter. Our doctrine matters. What do I mean by that? A set of beliefs or rules or, 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 or principles or things that God says that is sound. The Bible says we can have sound doctrine. Like it, it, it really matters. So much so that if, if another preaches another gospel, false teachers, the Bible says they should be accursed. Listen to verse 9 again as he says it like twice. And as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Let him be judged by God. Condemned. There's not often a illustration that I use to know like what is sound doctrine and what do we fight for and all this different stuff like what's the hill that we're going to die on 
Because it seems like Paul is like dying on a hill. He's taking a stance. And there's these things in, in, in pastoral ministry that you die for, that you would um, fight for or teach against and teach for. And oftentimes it's like the closed-handed issues and the open-handed issues. And open-handed issues, a lot of believers are saved, but they have different interpretations or even biblical things that the Bible doesn't necessarily address, black or white, like worship styles, time of worship, uh, your attire. It could be um, spiritual gifts, the way the church governance runs. These are all open-hand secondary issues that God-fearing, loving believers, lovers of Jesus all have different attitudes and, and adjustments and, and thoughts on these things, but they're all saved and we can actually come and, and, and talk about. Like for the last 2,000 years, being a Christian Calvinist or a, a Christian Arminianist. Like, is it free will? Is it choice? Is it both? And there's debate and there's discussion and that's okay. That would be a second-hand issue, an open-hand issue. You're not going to die for that. There are other brothers and sisters in our community that we do a lot of stuff that we disagree fundamentally in some doctrine and philosophy of ministry, but we're still serving the Lord and making disciples. But then there's the closed-hand issue. I don't mean that, like, pun intended, like you're going to punch someone, but you're sort of going to fight for these things. It's a hill you're going to die on. Like when we studied this last December about the virgin birth, like that's going to that's be a hill you're going to die on because we believe that Jesus actually was a sacrifice for a sin, the perfect lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world and he was fully God and fully man. And there was um, these doctrines that you, you're going to say, no, 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 the, the scripture is our final authority. The inheritance of scripture, you know, saved by grace through faith alone, like that's, that's going to be pretty orthodox or going to be um, something we're going to die on, like the Apostles' Creed, that Jesus is coming back again. And so when you actually disagree with a closed-hand issue, it's almost like, are you even saved? Because if you're going to disagree that the resurrection even happened, if there is no resurrection, there is no life, Paul said. Or, or if you're going to disagree that it's by grace, then there is no hope. Like there are fundamental things that you're just going to either flat out have to fight for and say, no, God is Emmanuel with us, um, he was the great sacrifice for our sins. He died. He rose again. There are certain things that you need to fight for. This is what Paul is doing. And Paul is defending, he's arguing, he's having this closed-handed issue and even saying, let them be accursed about this, this fundamental doctrine. And theological books are called the doctrine of justification. The doctrine of justification. It is the declaration that God declares that you are righteous that you can be in his presence, that you can have a relationship with him. You see, the Bible separates us from sin. But God declares righteousness to us by trusting in him alone, by his grace alone. Because if we get rid of this truth of God, it distorts the character of God, and it can actually wreck our lives. There are some doctrines that can actually skew you so much that you're not off by a degree, but as you walk this life, you're off by 15, 20, 30, 50, 70%. And it really can mess you up. And having a works-based righteousness attitude or belief or behavior, we're going to see is so damaging. I like to say a life that's, that's all about trying harder and being better rather than resting and receiving by the grace of God. There is a much bigger difference. Let me say that again. You cannot try harder or do better as a Christian, but you can receive and you can believe for the grace of God. And God wants you to just rest in him. He wants you to rest and believe and trust. Not, okay, 
clean slate. Let's try harder now. Oh, he's, he's up. He's down. No, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and his word remains, and his promises are true. And this is why Paul says and starts off in verse 6, like, I'm just astonished. I can't even believe that you would go down that path. He says, you're not only just having a false doctrine, you're abandoning him. You're deserting God. I want you to notice this. This is why doctor matters. Because when you buy into a lie about the gospel and who, what God says, you're actually, in your mind, deserting God himself. Because he is true. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He, he's the one that reveals himself. And so when you receive another gospel, he says, not, not that there is one, but when you receive another gospel, you're actually abandoning God because he revealed this gospel to me and to you. And so you, you can't like function in, in a life and be distracted. And some people do this like, well, I only read the New Testament or I like that verse, but not that verse. You're going to be shipwrecked, talks to and fro, as Paul would say. You need to establish yourself on what God says. And if you're trying to earn your own righteousness based off of works, that is a Jesus plus works mentality. I wrote this down. One that declares you to have favor with God based on your ability and not the finished work of Christ. This is damaging because it gives us a different view of God. Paul says, let them be accursed. And even if we... He's, so he's including himself. Because how often do you hear gifted speakers or other people say, thus says the Lord. But he's saying, no, no. Including me or an angel, a supernatural power, or another preacher teaches a different message. Don't listen to him. Don't buy into it. We have the will of God in the word of God. Listen, this is worth fighting for. Truth matters. And this is why God tells us in 1 John 4, 1, to test all spirits. That we need to be men and women of the word, showing ourselves approved to handle the word of God like Paul told Timothy, to study it and to know it and to be able to embrace the word so we know the word, uh, so that we know the God of the word. We need to be men and women of God's word and his truth to discern the lying spirits of this age. And now practically this means we need to be in the Bible, memorizing it, speaking it, studying it, embracing it. I wrote this down, a couple of questions for you to ponder and think. When we think about this, this practicality of doctrine, does your life embrace the word of God? Are you valuing scripture and God's truth? Now listen, if that's the case, then you're going to be in the word, memorizing it, applying it, speaking it, living it, embracing it. The values of the principles and the person and everything that this word of God says you need to go after. Because embracing false doctrine is damaging. And there is, the Bible says, the way of the world. There's the way of God, but there is an opposing way, the way of the world. And there is a spiritual warfare. This is why Paul would say in Ephesians 4.14, uh, don't be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about every wind of doctrine by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. He knows that people can be tossed to and fro, and me and you and I, we could be deceived. So Paul is serious about confronting the lies of these false prophets and will call this false doctrine, he would even use in some of his epistles, doctrine of demons. You ever notice that? When it's a lie, a deceit, he calls it the doctrine of demon, the evil age of this world. He says in verse 10 of this chapter, for, okay, so am I now seeking the approval of men 
or of God? Or am I trying to please men? Because if I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Just because a man says it, I'm not going to believe it. I'm not going to buy it. I'm going to say what God says. And what says he says about me and my identity and the grace. Paul recognized that he had to make a stance for a closed-handed issue for his life and for others. And I'm just, I'm just here to tell you, so do you. You've got to make the decision. And even no decision sometimes is a decision. You're going to have to contend for the truth. You know, 1 Timothy 15 says the church, the people of God, us, we're the buttress of truth. We're, we're the pillars of truth. We need to defend the truth of God, of what God says. Now, let me just give you a warning, because I think when people hear this, they just get a little wacky. We aren't to be jerks like the world and defend. And we, the Bible talks about how we have weapons of, the, of uh, there are different weapons that we warfare in, right? You know that verse that talks about don't be tossed to and fro? And that's verse 14. Did you know the next verse, 15, it actually says, like, be kind? <laughs> so, like, you have to understand that. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Man, our world would change if we just walked with a little bit more gentleness and respect. Or Paul would say, why don't you just speak the truth in love? Why don't you season it with some grace? We should be able to defend the faith and have sound doctrine and still be loving, still be kind. We should and can do all things in love, knowing that we'll all give an account. You notice how Paul said, even if we or an angel, he acknowledges that all principalities and everyone will give account for what they believe and how they are going to be judged. The living and the dead. It's a point for a man to live once and then be appointed to judge, Hebrews 9 says. He would say this in 1 Corinthians. He would understand and know how important it is. And so we're told not to be false teachers, even amongst us as Christians, to, to be able to handle the word of truth. This is why James chapter 3, verse 1 says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. This is why Paul includes himself and someone not to listen to if he's off. And we actually see this in Paul's ministry in a passage in Acts chapter 17. He would go into a new city and it says that these people were more noble than in Thessalonica. It was this town called Berea. And they received what he said, but then it says they examined it with the word of God. And what a beautiful picture for us when we hear truth and even a message or even from your pastor or favorite podcaster or YouTuber or whatever it may be, the news anchor, like politics, like, okay, you can receive it and you can hear it. There's nothing bad. We're in the world, but the Bible says we're not of the world. So then we have to discern Ask God for wisdom who gives liberally and go and get that wisdom from his word and test all spirits. And Acts chapter 17, it said the Bereans did this and they were considered more noble or honorable because they actually went back to scripture. We should always be going back to, is that, is that a biblical what Daniel just said? What my friend just said? I know that they're family, but man, if an angel or even apostle Paul could say something off like what 
what is it that you need to examine? What have you been embracing that you just thought was always the truth or just culturally something okay? Because the Bible says we examine everything. Doctrine matters. Why? Because Satan's a liar. This is how he works. This is why he's saying, let God judge. Because Satan, well, Jesus says this in John 8, 48, 44. I don't have it on the screen, but Jesus said that Satan is a murderer. That, that he was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, Jesus says, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Christian, don't forget we have an enemy. We wage warfare against our flesh, the enemy, the ways of the world. There are things that are combating the truth and want our destruction, and the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And because we are in the image of God, bringing glory to God, made in his image, Satan desires to destroy that, and he wants us to go down the path of a lie and be be deceived. One of the ways, if not the primary way, for Satan to work in your life is to deceive you. The Bible says, Jesus said, he's the father of lies. And having us doubt the nature and goodness of God. Look at how he works from the beginning. The scheme, do, be aware of the schemes. Remember with Adam and Eve. Did God really say? What is he doing? He's attacking the truth to attack the character and goodness of God. He's attacking the goodness of God, the gospel. Satan will always attack the goodness of God and the gospel of Jesus because it is our very source of life. And he wants us disconnected from the source of life because then we'll be damned, condemned, just as he is. So he lies. He wants us not to believe the gospel of grace, but to actually walk in our own pride and our own works, to think that we got it without God. But Paul's fighting against this. He says they distort the gospel. They distort the gospel and it troubles you. Do you think of false doctrine as damaging, as destructive? Paul did. He says not even to listen to it, even if an angel from someone else comes. Remember, he would say the enemy in in 2 Corinthians 11.4, he comes as an angel of light. You know, recently I was with Jason, who I'm excited he's going to be here next week. We were at a a board meeting in Salt Lake City where his brother lives, and we have one in-person meeting a year where we sort of set budget and talk about life and vision and um, all these things. And it's so encouraging with the House of Blessing. There's 115 probably registered students coming on next year, new Christian school we started. And it's like, man, God is in this, and he's providing, and this is amazing. Um, But you know what was interesting is flying into Salt Lake City, the first thing you notice is the mountains because it's just beautiful, and in Florida we don't have them. Um, but the second thing you notice is there are so many good morals and temples. I don't know if you've ever been there before, but there are so many temples. There's a false doctrine, a false gospel that has infiltrated that town. Because what it ends up happening is that's sort of the hub of Mormonism. And if you know anything about Mormonism, Joseph Smith received fresh, fresh revelation from an angel. I find it interesting that you can literally read this Bible verse and be like, Joseph Smith, don't do it, bro. How are you guys being deceived? Don't you know the Bible? And it's interesting, too, because Mormons do not deny Jesus. 
But they do add to the gospel of grace, don't they? You have to do this, this, and this, and this. You have to be on mission. You have to do this. It's a workspace. It's Jesus plus. That was the revelation that they received. And so the Mormon church is actually a deceived cult because they're denying the deity of Jesus and they're actually based off of their righteousness off of their works. We need to understand that, discern that, and we need to be heartbroken over this. That people that are actually hungry for God, like even these new believers in Galatia, could actually be deceived. These Judaizers knew that they were gullible, knew that they were innocent, that they didn't know very much, so they were coming and saying, hey, we have some fresh revelation. They were questioning Paul's apostolic authority. That's why this next section we'll cover uh, after Jason gets, uh, gets with us next week. Paul, this is one of the most personal letters of Paul because he's saying, I got this gospel from God, from Jesus himself. And this is why he says, let them be accursed. We're almost done. Let me read this quote to you from John Stott. He says, the devil disturbs the church as much as error as by evil. When he cannot entice Christian people into sin, he deceives them with false doctrine. Man, a lot of people don't think this way. They think the enemy is out there and he's wreaking havoc with all of this sin and destruction, which he is, but it's also through error. And this is why the church needs to be focused on discipleship, of guarding new believers. It's so important to teach people the ways of Jesus and the truth and to stand on the word of God. This, it's like, if, if not, what's the point? Why are we even here if we can't open our Bibles and hear from the Lord? He's given us his heart and instruction and we need to come alongside of people and encourage them in the word of God. And we need not only look out for new believers, but our own hearts. Listen to what Hebrews 2.1 says. Therefore, we must pay close attention to what we have learned or heard, lest we drift away from it. This can happen to you. This can happen to me. We must always cling to the gospel of grace and make it a priority, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. Because when you don't, you lose sight and you lose the heart of God. Paul would tell his spiritual son, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 4.16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Strong disciples make strong disciples. They multiply. We must first pursue Jesus before we proclaim him. Having firm foundation, being men and women of the word, being established in God's grace, and having ministry and overflow of our heart so we can actually pour into others. John Stott again said, we must not compromise the gospel like the Judaizers, nor desert it like the Galatians, but live it out ourselves and seek to make it known. And this is what Paul is trying to do, establish them in the truth, and let them know how serious he is. And next time, he's going to flow the letter in this chapter and say, and this is where my authority comes from, God himself. Let's pray and in, in communion. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, God, that you've given us truth. We thank you, Lord, that we can embrace this truth by your grace through faith. And Jesus, even thinking of finishing our time together, just singing, proclaiming your name, taking communion together. Lord, we want to, have a heart that embraces your word, that values you, that worships you. And we know that we can be deceived. 
So Lord, would you put a hunger in our heart? I pray right now, God, that we would have a hunger for your word, that we would memorize it, study it, apply it, love it. Like it would be David who says, Lord, teach me to embrace it, to know your word in you. God, I pray for those that don't know you, whether listening online or even in the room, that they would embrace your grace, that they would receive it, that they would repent and have life-changing forgiveness. Thank you, God, that we can believe that you died and rose again and confess with our mouth and be saved. Your word tells us that you cast no one away. And so we come in this moment entering in and believing your word that you not only died, but you rose again and you're coming back again. We thank you, Lord, for that. We thank you, God, that in the meantime, you've given us the spirit of truth, the, the helper, the comforter. May you continue to fill us afresh with your spirit, teaching us, Lord, how to discern and how to walk with you. Lead us, Lord. As you taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And Lord, so may we be filled afresh once again. May we be reminded of your truth and your great love for us that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of the work that you did on the cross. We love you, Jesus, and we ask for you to be glorified. Amen. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube, so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.